0: Lord, that you would give us a deeper understanding, not just to gain knowledge, Lord, but to intimately know you. Lord, that we may be drawn by the love that you have for us. Lord, as we search the scriptures, we, we understand the depth of your love, as we have been reminded this morning already, as we partook of communion. Lord, the, the very elements that represent the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who took away our sins. Lord, let us reflect a love for you that is eternal, as yours is for us. Lord, that we may come with sober minds, Lord, not allowing anything to deflect or to distract from meeting with you. Father, that you would fill us with your spirit, and that you would have your way with us. As we open up the scriptures, Father, I pray that you would open up our hearts, Lord, that we would be open to whatever it is that you have for us this morning, that you would show us things, and that you would also reveal your heart, Lord, for us. And so, Lord, uh, we ask your blessing upon this time, and We commit it into your hands, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. The title of this morning's message is a question. Is it good or harmful? Is it good or harmful? Luke chapter 6, verse 1 On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to to eat and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. We begin with the story of a time when Jesus was confronted by the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. Um, this was a question that they had, as we've seen other questions that they've had in previous uh, verses in the previous chapter. And like I pointed out last week, so I point out again that the reason why they're asking these questions is because they're uncertain. They really don't understand why it is that Jesus is doing the things that he's doing, perhaps in the way that he's doing them, because it is going against what they have been practicing for a number of years. You know, John 10.10 says, "...the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy." I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know, the thoughts that I had of Christianity prior to coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, surrendering my life to Christ, are thoughts of restrictions, rules, regulations. I had a picture of people who were uptight, condescending, pompous. Those were my thoughts, it turns out, that truly they're uptight and pumped. No, I'm just kidding. No, it turns out that the image that I had in my own mind was not a people that is described to be followers of Jesus Christ as defined by the Bible. The followers of Jesus Christ. But rather those with whom Jesus had the most confrontations. Those were the people actually that I had in mind. I just didn't know that until I started reading scripture. I saw it for myself. These were the people that crucified Jesus. Of whom I identify with. When I became a Christian, I realized that I was forgiven. Oh, the love that God has for us, and he demonstrated by the sacrifice of the Son. I realized the moment that I was forgiven that I was set free. Set free from the condemnation of sin. I was then free to worship God in spirit and in truth. I was free to worship him as a child of God with the hope of heaven knowing that I have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. There is a liberty and a freedom that I came to realize that is beyond anything that this world could ever offer. And it was all made possible by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. He paid for my sins in full. And I understood why it was that these Jesus people... Expressed such a zeal for him, such a love for him. I began to understand why it was that they were willing to sacrifice themselves for the sake of winning the lost to him. Why it was that they would forsake everything to follow him. Why it is that they lived life without fear. You see, to be a Christian is to live life without fear and full of confidence in the Lord. To therefore now know no condemnation. Because we as believers have new lives in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We are not condemned, we are forgiven. You know, Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, through 30, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find, there's that word again, rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. As Christians, the observance of God's word is not to gain righteousness for our sake, but to walk in the righteousness of Christ. Christ and simply to demonstrate our love for him. John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So this interaction that Jesus had with these Pharisees was not one of forsaking the law... Keeping the law and being obedient to the word of God. But it's a confrontation that was beneficial and is beneficial even to us today that we may realize that if we go into that place of misunderstanding scripture and applying it in a way and adding to it that we may be making, well, sons of hell instead of sons of heaven. these men who continue to confront Jesus and his disciples about what they do are men who are self-righteous and who lead people actually away from the grace of God and into a legalistic mindset and therefore into bondage of which Jesus came to set us free from. Again, as we consider the fact that and we learned last week In the last portion of chapter 5, I had pointed out that Jesus didn't come to reform the old covenant, Judaism, but he came to establish the new covenant in his blood. And both Jew and Gentile come into, as the veil of hostility, the wall of hostility, is broken down in Christ, and we all become new creatures in Christ and we belong to God. We've been set free from the law and its condemnation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Matthew 23:15 says, "Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across Sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Those, by the way, were words that were spoken by none other than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is how he addressed these Pharisees. As we learn about Jesus and the Word of God, may we remember that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so pay close attention to what Jesus is correcting by the and through the questions that he asks and the statements that he makes that bring clarity to the Word of God and expose the very heart of God. As Jesus did then in that day, so he does today. And he teaches us about what true rest is and what is not. He lays that out very clearly as we read even through those first few verses. Again, going back to Luke chapter 6 verse 1. The question is why it is that Jesus is allowing his disciples to break the law. Verse 1 says, On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Why are you breaking the law? And looking to Jesus, why are you allowing them to break the law? Some commentators, you know, as we started out, it is noted, it is written uh, that uh, this happened on uh, a Sabbath the next Sabbath some commentators think that perhaps it's the next Sabbath after the first Sabbath was addressed in, uh, in in Luke chapter 4 verse 31 but this can simply just be another Sabbath that's not the point of this and sometimes we can um, lose sight of what's really important by digging into something that Perhaps it's questionable. So we'll just leave it at this. On a Sabbath, this is what took place. At the time Jesus is being confronted by the Pharisees, the point of it is that it happened on the Sabbath, and this is what's important. This is that Sabbath to where Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees about what the disciples did on that specific day, on the Sabbath. Sabbath. And yet Jesus will use this to confront them about their misunderstanding of the word that they are observing. So these Pharisees apparently are watching Jesus' disciples. They see them pluck the grain, rub it together, leave what is edible in their hands, then commence to put it in their mouths, and how dare they chew the grain. They see them do this. The issue was not theft because in Deuteronomy, uh, the poor are allowed to glean that which is left in the field. So it's not an issue of stealing. It's not an issue of of theft. Their problem was was the day upon which this was done, the Sabbath. The day when they were all commanded to rest from all of their work. Oh, it's interesting. If you look into what Orthodox Jews practice, especially in that day, and the rules that they made in order to um, observe the Sabbath, it's truly mind-boggling. It's, it's crazy, As if 613 commandments weren't enough. And so the problem is what they did on that day. Jesus' disciples, they reaped. In other words, they picked the grain. And then it was considered threshing and winnowing as they rubbed the grain together. (laughs) And then, oh, they prepared the food. How did they prepare the food? By putting it in their mouth and chewing on it. That was work. The issue was not that even they did this, but that they did this on the Sabbath. You know, um, earlier this year I was in Israel. Before that, a few years before that, uh, I was there and I was reminded. I was able to explain to others that hadn't been to Israel about their elevators. See, there's an elevator that where you can push the buttons like we know, right? It's like, um, you know, the first floor, second floor, third floor, and so on. Well, there is a such thing as a Shabbat elevator. A Shabbat elevator has no buttons. You get in, you're like, as an American, you get in, you're wondering, how do I get to my floor? There's, there's no buttons, right? And it... And that might cause you to jump out of the elevator. You know, uh, you have no, no idea what's, what's happening. That is the Shabbat elevator. Which means that on the Sabbath, beginning at sundown on Friday. And it concludes at sundown on Saturday. The Sabbath. Uh, you're not allowed to touch the buttons. Therefore... Everyone gets into the elevator, go to the first floor, the second floor. In each floor, the doors open. You could be on the 20th floor. You are going to visit every single floor. Because you can't touch the buttons. In the day of Christ, I mean, there, there, were, there were other, again, other rules that were made uh one of the uh, the rules, if, if you tie a knot, you're in violation of the Sabbath. You could not tie a knot. Uh, but you could get around that in different ways. Like you know uh, like let's say for instance, uh, theres there's a um, uh, kind of a joke that uh, is known you know not to count, right so the way that they would count as not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six. I'm not counting. <laughs> it's interesting. You would have to, and even now, or, uh, or, uh, ortho, ultra-Orthodox Jews uh, will leave all the lights that are going to be on for the Sabbath. They'll turn them on. Whatever's off remains off. And uh, that's the way it remains for the entire Sabbath. So there's things like that. that it's, And if they do touch the, 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 um, the light switch, they will again be in violation of the Sabbath. Um, making phone calls is a violation of the Sabbath because uh, electricity is being conducted. Um, so anyway, it's things like that. Can you imagine just it's endless. The things that you have to observe in order to keep the Sabbath and this is what was happening and on this day with the Pharisees as they were watching Jesus' disciples. And they said, oh, they plucked, they threshed and winnowed, and prepared food. Hmm. Jesus, in his response, was making what it was actually what it actually meant to observe the Sabbath abundantly clear. Do not think that the addition of unnecessary laws to the Word of God is the same as holding someone accountable to the Word of God as it is written. In other words, when people are just simply being disobedient to the Word and they are held accountable by someone else, they mistakenly begin to invoke their freedom in Christ and say they are living under grace and not the law, To justify why it is that they do not need to be obedient to the word of God. The world knows this verse very well. Judge not that you not be judged. Or lest you be judged. Right? It's kind of like that that same attitude. And so, keep in mind that this is not a, um, a forsaking of the law. That's not what Jesus was doing. For he kept the law perfectly. So that's not the point. The point is that they were embellishing upon the law. They were were taking it to a level that God did not mean for it to be handled in such a way and applied to our daily living. These Pharisees were adding to the word of God and saying that those observances are what made people righteous. But Jesus corrects them. Verse 3. And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And so we asked them this question. The manner in which he asked this question is very important. The recipients of that question knew exactly how it was and what Jesus meant when he asked the question in the manner in which he did. He responded to them by asking them if they had ever, have you ever read the scriptures? Can you imagine if someone told you that? You you are a teacher of the scriptures. You are. Teach theology, you teach the Word of God, and then you have someone ask you, Have you even read the Scriptures? It's like, talk about pride, right? Eric was talking about, you know, just confess your pride. It's like at that very moment, you know, who wouldn't be, you know, challenged in that point, confronted by Jesus in that way? Because By their very question, what they were saying, they were demonstrating an ignorance of the word of God. That's what Jesus was saying with that question. His initial statement communicated to them that in their question, they had demonstrated actually a lack of understanding the scriptures. They may know the scriptures, be able to quote them. But they actually lacked an understanding of the scriptures they claimed to know that they should have been experts of. Jesus was pointing out their ignorance of Scripture. Listen, a person can have much knowledge and yet little wisdom apart from God and His Spirit. Much knowledge and little understanding. You can quote the entire Bible, be a professor of theology at a seminary, point out details like no one else, and even win Bible trivia contests, and yet still miss the real meaning of Scripture. You know, it was well understood what Jesus was referring to. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. And people knew that. They knew that. Again, these were Pharisees. Religious leaders, they, they knew this story very well. They knew exactly where it was. They understood David's men were hungry. They came to the priests and presented themselves to the priests and David asked asked for some food and they gave them. They gave David and his men the bread of the presence, the holy bread to eat and to be nourished. Something that was only reserved for the priests and yet in their need The priests gave them the bread. You see, a person's need is more important than the observance of religious rituals. Man-made traditions, that's for sure. Hosea 6.6 says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God desires mercy before sacrifice. In fact, The sacrifices of God are these. Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That's that's our offering. That's all we could offer him. In fact, that's what what he asks of us. To come to him with, with broken and contrite hearts. In other words, humble toward him, completely submissive and surrendered to him. Being, being willing to forsake self for the sake of glorifying him when the observance of the sabbath is at the expense of a person it is actually in reality out of harmony with god's purpose of it in fact mark 2:27 gives us a little bit more detail as far as this actual event is concerned In Mark 2.27, it says, And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then, of course, we read. In Luke, as we do in Mark 2.28, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Not only is this a day of rest for man, but in this statement, Jesus, and again, the Pharisees, knew this very well. He was claiming deity. He was claiming that he had the authority and knowledge to understand if his disciples were breaking the law. Why? Simply because of what he stated. He is the Lord of the Sabbath, of rest, of that day. Let's continue, though. There's more that happened Not on that Sabbath, but on another Sabbath. He entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. Verse 7, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. So they watched. They simply watched. Again, they were, they were trying to find something that they could accuse him of and do whatever it is that they wanted to do to him. To Really, they wanted to shut him up. They wanted to stop him. So this was another Sabbath. Uh, in this moment, he went to the synagogue and he was teaching. In the presence of everyone there, there was a man who had his right hand was withered. In other words, it was useless. It was drawn. He, he couldn't even extend it. It was simply close to his body, and it was, again, useless. Now, something to note here, and I think it's worthy uh, of, of noting, something to pay attention to is the fact that, you know, Jesus did not forsake the assembling of the people of God. Notice that he was consistent in coming to synagogue. He would come often, meet with the rest of God's people, and he would teach. And so he was obedient to the very word. Something perhaps we need to take to note, if if we insist on saying, you know, as a Christian, I don't need to come to church uh, and uh, to be a Christian. Well, I I just read to you John 14, 15, in which Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, right? Right. Well, in his commandments, he says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves, as is the manner of some, but doing even more so as we see the day drawing near. And so Jesus is that example as he comes to synagogue and he's meeting with everyone else. He's teaching the word of God. Along with his disciples, if anyone didn't have to go to church, it would be Jesus. No. And yet Jesus gathered with the people and he did it regularly well it's in this gathering as they were all coming together this man had this withered hand and now the, it's open the, the scribes and the Pharisees were, were watching Jesus closely they, were, they knew that he was performing miracles he was healing people and they were, they were just waiting for him this is a Sabbath is he going to heal again For them, they did not accept the fact of what he said on the other Sabbath, that Sabbath was made for man and not man for Sabbath. They didn't accept that. And even less that Jesus was Lord of the Sabbath. And so Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he broke from the teaching of Scripture And he was going to teach them what it meant truly to follow scripture. Jesus called on the man with the withered hand to stand by him. And now you can just imagine the tension in the room rose. (laughs) They were watching him. Now all eyes are on Jesus. Call the man with the withered hand. Come. And he rose. Now he was standing next to him. Verse 9. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. You know, in our own minds, we might think, man, this is a, we might think that this is rebellious, right? Just wanting to show them. It's not rebellious. It's being consistent with who he is. And actually, the rebellious hearts were the ones who were watching him, who were wondering if they might catch him in something. You know, there are people who, who watch. and just wonder, are they going to catch them doing something that is not right? You know, Satan is actually considered the accuser of the brethren. Don't catch yourself doing his bidding. Uh, don't be, as has been spoken many times, don't be a sin sniffer always looking to sin, uh, sniff sin out and point it out to someone, right? Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Let me ask you this. When is it wrong to do something good? When is it wrong to do something that is good? Or perhaps I can ask you, ask it this way. Uh, on what day is it wrong to do something that is Right? Maybe it's specific to a day. This is actually what they were thinking. This is exactly what they were looking to Jesus to do. Oh, he may do something good, but today is the wrong day to do it. You see, Jesus was pointing out something so basic and yet was so foreign to the Pharisees and the scribes. Jesus made it clear to them and all That were there. Remember, all eyes were on him now. And in fact, he addressed everyone in the room, making it clear to them all that rituals do not trump the act of compassion when that is what is needed in the moment. G. Campbell Morgan said this: quote, surely there is no desecration of divine ordinances so powerful as that which clogs the stream of compassion, close quote. Oh, when compassion is necessary. Oh, forget the traditions and the rituals that we observe. Forget that. Express that compassion on whoever it needs it, whoever it is that needs compassion. Jesus, in this moment, demonstrated that. He demonstrated this by healing this man with a withered hand, making his hand whole. Imagine a withered hand. Like I said, it was useless. It would be actually impossible for him to extend it, to simply do that. Just extend it. And yet that is exactly what Jesus told him to do. Stretch out your hand. Can you imagine what was going through that man's mind? I don't know what he experienced, but I'm thinking that perhaps he felt a little life in his hand. I don't know if he moved his fingers, but he, he, in that moment, he did exactly what it was that the Lord told him to do. Stretch out your hand. And so he stretched out his hand. And you could just hear the gasps in that room. <gasps> oh. He did it. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and the scribes, in that moment... In their own hearts and maybe under their breath were saying, gotcha. Instead of humbling themselves, this actually further enraged these religious leaders. They now turn to each other to discuss what needed to be done with Jesus. In other words, they were now looking for ways. What, what do we do? How do we stop him? Jesus, at the at that very moment was definitely not welcomed into their religious club because he was dismantling their club one correction at a time. In Mark chapter 7 verse 8 Jesus Jesus said you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles mother or uh, father or mother, mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is, given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God, by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. Again, Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. And so he did. He brings clarity to these things. These things that they thought they were observing, in an actuality, they had tainted, they had taken out of context, they had added to them. So was Jesus trying to make the Sabbath something different than what it was before, than how it, what it was established for? No, he was not at all, by no means. He was not trying to reform the Sabbath. Jesus was giving them an understanding of what he meant by establishing the Sabbath. Ultimately, Jesus is our rest. He is our Sabbath. He was pointing out to to them that this day was meant to be for them, for their benefit. And not the other way around. This was not a day that would become for them a burden. So complicated that there was no rest that they would find on this day. So I'm going to give you three things just to, or a couple things, just to apply and in what we have just covered number 1 compassion over ritual again hosea 6:6 6, 6, only uh, the new king james version says it this way it says for i desire mercy And not sacrifice and the knowledge of god more than burnt offerings don't let tradition or ritual take the place of meeting the real need of a person it's not one or the other but rather understanding what is required of man according to the word and discerning what is good and pleasing to God, according to the true interpretation of Scripture. For it says in Mark 2, 27, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Secondly, just keep in mind, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Our rest, your rest, our rest will only be known in Jesus Christ. Our relationship with God is not based upon what we can do for Him, but what He has already done for us. We simply respond to what He's already done. The the love that He's demonstrated to us compels us to reflect a, a heart of gratitude toward Him. Luke 6, 5 says, And He said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, and in Romans 5:8 says, "But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, knowing salvation in Christ, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Therefore, confess Him, that He is the Son of God who died for your sins, and in Him you and in Him only you will find rest for your souls in the hope of heaven." He will give you not just rest on one day, but in all days. And through that and in that, we'll come to know His glory in eternity. So my question for you in closing is, do you know that rest? Have you found rest in Jesus? Is He your Savior? Is He your Lord? Perhaps, and I know that it can happen at times, to where... We find ourselves doing life in our own strength. We therefore, in that, in that time in our lives, we, we feel burdened and overwhelmed. We feel anxious and worried. We're concerned about everything. And we don't realize that the Lord simply desires for us to surrender to him once again. Confess that that is a sin. To, to be worried and be filled with anxious is actually, it's not a shortcoming. It's not something that we can kind of fix by having a more positive attitude of life. It's about acknowledging that it, it's a sin. You cannot go to a psychologist, a psychiatrist, or a, a counselor and be made Right? It's only by the shed blood of Jesus Christ that you are made right. It's only Jesus that can put us in our right mind. So instead of running to someone else as Christians, as children of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, quit going to someone else. Run to Jesus. He has the answer to life and godliness, or do you not believe that? 2 Peter 1.3, I repeat it often. Please jot it down. Everything that pertains to life and, and godliness is, is known through the knowledge. It has come to be received and possessed through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. As Christians, we go to Him. And we will find rest. Do not be anxious about anything But by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Again, do you believe that? If you are filled with anxiety and worry, concern that is not right, not not given to the right person... Confess that to the Lord. You will find rest in Jesus and Jesus alone. You will find rest for your souls by surrendering surrendering your life to him and knowing God's grace in Jesus Christ alone. Today, may you know salvation and the rest that Jesus provides. Father, I thank you may we not be may we not be a people who are critical Lord have critical hearts that are always looking for things to accuse people of Lord and may we also be gracious toward one another may we um, find true rest in you in fact I know that Jesus desired this even for those who were looking at him in this way. The Pharisees and the scribes. And so I ask, Father, that Lord, for those who perhaps have strayed from you and Lord, just uh, express a trust in you and that Lord, there would be a confession of that and Lord, that Repentance, and that there would be a, just a willingness to, to just trust in you once again. For anyone who does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, Father, may today be the day of, the, of salvation, Father, that, Lord, that they would confess with their mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead. Lord, that they may have new hearts, understanding that they have a new hope, And that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Knowing that no one comes to the Father except through him. So Father, I thank you for this moment. And we pray this in Jesus' name.